You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome on behalf of Friends of Europe and all our partners. Welcome to this conference on Balkans at the crossroads, new challenges, changing dynamics. Now, all of you know that we have very charged agendas, but every year around this time, we take time off, bring all the stakeholders together and take a cool headed look at what is happening in the Western Balkans. What is the situation in that region? And what is the state of play in that region's long and difficult uh, path towards European Union membership? Now, friends, 2017 has been a turbulent and difficult year around the world. For all of us, it has been very unpredictable, volatile, and challenging. This is also the case in the European Union, of course, but also in the Western Balkans. And recent judgments at the Hague Tri Tribunal have reminded us of the very tragic conflicts that took place in the Western Balkans not that long ago. And the shadow that the question of reconciliation, the lack of reconciliation, still hangs over that region. Now, the EU High Representative Federica Mogherini is right when she says that peace in the Balkans is peace in Europe. And yet, we all know that the struggle for sustainable peace, reconciliation, and democracy in the region is a continuing one. So let's just look at three quotes that we have taken from our Debating Europe online platform for discussions. Can we have the quotes up here on the screen, please? Exactly. So, you know, we have the political rhetoric. But the questions from our citizens, this one here is from Peter in the Czech Republic, when he says, when will the Balkan countries join the EU? In 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? So is there going to be a date? Is there a deadline? Or are we going to just keep talking about the Western Balkans being part of the European family? Will we go beyond that? And if so, when? George in Germany says, is EU membership still as attractive as ever to the Balkan countries? Is it? Or is the public opinion turning sour on Europe, on the EU? And Alex in Romania says, ask, this doesn't look like the time for further expansion, he says, considering the EU is currently dealing with Brexit, the refugee crisis, Catalonia, etc., etc. Do you agree? I'm Shada Islam, I'm Director for Europe and Geopolitics at Friends of Europe. Friends, we have a very busy morning ahead of us and we will be giving, we will be taking our panel's uh, ideas and input into account and giving some recommendations on how to move forward. This first session is about peace, democracy and reconciliation. So what's really happening in the region and beyond the rhetoric? So. Uh, our panelists include the Prime Minister of Albania, Eddie Rama. Welcome, sir. Very, very, very happy to have you here. Mr. Thomas Mayer Harting from the European External Action Service. He's responsible for Europe and Central Asia at the EEAS. Our old friend and colleague, Aisha Shihan Sultanoglu from the UNDP. 
Assistant Secretary General and Regional Director for Europe and the Commonwealth of Independent States. Welcome as well, Shehan. Very happy to have with us Michele Giacomelli. He's the Special Envoy for the Western Balkans at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation in Italy, and he played a key role in the Trieste Conference, which was just held in July this year. And last but not least, Andrew Plitt, Senior Development Advisor, United States European Command. Uh, we're also very, very delighted to have with us six young representatives from the Balkans who are passionate about the region and have very, very strong advice and recommendations on how to move uh, this conversation forward. And so thank you very much to our partners for bringing the young people over as well. Rules of the game are very simple. Our panelists will uh, speak initially for five minutes. I will then turn to the young, uh, young uh, representatives here as well, get some of their comments, get some reality checks if you like, and then I'll open the floor to questions from the audience. We have about an hour for this conversation to take place. So, without further ado, Prime Minister, uh, let's have your view on the situation of democracy, peace and reconciliation in the Western Balkans. Five minutes for you, sir. Thank you. It's on. Thank you for this opportunity and uh, while listening to you about what's happening in the Balkans, I was thinking that in the Balkans, our question is what's happening in the EU. So uh, it's a bit like the world has turned upside down because uh, some years ago, the problem for us, it was ourselves. And now the problem among us is how to answer to the question what will happen to our European integration path. And this is all connected with the, with the very fact that um, in the Balkans today we have a different, totally different situation in the sense of uh, talking to each other of uh, cooperating with each other, of trying to deal even with the most difficult issues of the past, namely uh, through the dialogue between Serbia and Kosovo. And if all this happens, it didn't happen because we, we discovered within ourselves the angel but it happened because of the still very strong spell of EU integration process on the people and, on, and, and, and upon the societies. So I don't think I would exaggerate if I would say that without the EU there, we would never have what we're having in the Balkans in terms of uh, reconciliation peace and cooperation process. And that is to say that the EU is for us in the Balkans a very important driving force towards the future. And the EU integration is a very unique tool of modernization of our uh, 
states and our societies. I don't think that without EU integration we'd be able to have the reforms we are having, we'd be able to seek for a real uh, strong, independent, efficient justice system, would be able to go through a very, uh, a very important and thorough vetting process of judges and prosecutors. So all this has happened and might continue to happen only because we want to be part of this family. And as far as this is an open possibility, Balkans in general and Albania in particular will progress by no doubt. But if this fades away or if this becomes like, you know, uh, an illusion, then things can turn wrong. And um, so, in general, I would say, yes, in the Balkans we have the best situation ever. But it's not just due to us, but it's due to the very strong feelings about Europe, about what it represents, and so on. And that's why I started by saying our main wonder in the Balkans is not what will happen among us. It's what will happen between us and EU. So it's quite interesting, right? To, to imagine the Balkans being in this position after so many decades and uh, centuries of conflicts. And this shows a lot about the EU spell and the EU importance for all of us in the Balkans. And I hope that, you know, the member states with re will reconcile with EU values finally and forever and that EU will be EU as we have known it, as we have dreamt about it and as we think of it and not something else. So this is, uh, you know, and it looks like a Balkan curse in fact because when EU was in its great shape, we were in our worst shape. Now we are in great shape. EU is not in the worst shape, but is, is in somehow in this direction. So we want it back to be in the great shape, and so we can, we can take the best advantage of this, uh, maybe, you know, synchronism of shapes. And, uh, right. and it, uh, it, it always remembers me, an American writer who who once wrote, um, the different stripes of the rainbow should not hate or be jealous about each other because each of them is different and by the difference of its color makes the others look much more beautiful. Right. Very important things you've said, Prime Minister. I'm going to push you on two points, if I may. Right? Two points. Uh, you said if that European goal or uh, aspiration fades away, things could go wrong first. Second thing you said is the EU dream. What is the EU dream that you harbor inside yourself in the region? What is that EU dream? Or the EU of your dreams? You don't know it? You tell us. 
this is, you know, it's quite something to have this question. Um, yeah, the EU dream is to to be part of a family with uh, clear rules, where everyone respects the rules and uh, what you call in every sentence rule of law, to have states with strong institutions, because at the end it's all about institutions. And, uh, of course, to be part of a family that uh, protects and promotes certain unique values that represent the values of the democratic world in times when these values are challenged by very dangerous forces and in times when we have a unique chance to make the final divorce with our history and with the ghosts of the past and to finally marry together with this great union who is telling us all the time we want to marry but we are not yet ready to talk and I don't know how this can happen, you know. Yes, in middle age, we had marriages without talking, but I don't think this is the case. So that's why we all in the Balkans need and want to talk. You, you call it accession talks, so marriage talks. And then if it will happen, it will happen. But even if it will not happen fast, it will help us to grow sane and to have uh, as I said, in our disposal, this challenging tool of modernization, because at the end it's all about modernization, and uh, all the painful part of the process, which has to do with all these benchmarks and this uh, whatever, uh, it's very, very important. It's fundamental to build institutions. Thank you very much. So rule of law, strong institution, unique values, and a divorce from the past, and basically the courtship is proving to be too long and, and frustrating. Thank you very much, uh, Prime Minister. Thomas, listening to what the Prime Minister has said and the, the stress he's put on the rule of law, uh, but he also said something which I think is quite interesting. We are in great shape in the region. Uh, when the European Union, when the European External Action Service looks at the Western Balkans, looks at the Balkans, do you see a region in good shape or do you see, as the Prime Minister said, the ghosts of the past still lingering and haunting parts of that region? Well, you asked about, you asked about the ghosts of the past and obviously uh, this is a region with a very difficult past and that past is not far away. Um, obviously, um, it is difficult to cope with nationalism and with populism, but populism as we see these days is not a phenomenon that is reserved uh, to the Western Balkans. We have it all over Europe. It is also true that, as I said, the past of the region is a particularly heavy one and it takes time. Reconciliation is an effort that can only work from within and that sort of effort takes time. I come from a country, uh, Austria, my home country, where it took us 40 years uh, to assume uh, some of the dark sides of our history uh, during the Second World War. So I think one also has to be realistic with expectations. 
It is also true, and that is certainly one of the problems of the region, but of European politics in general, that party politicians often have a tendency uh, to uh, place the immediate political interest, the partisan interest, ahead of the interest of their country, the European perspective of their country. And we've seen that regrettably uh, in recent uh, years in quite a number of countries uh, of the region, and it's a phenomenon we fight with. At the same time, it is also true that if we see things like the willingness of the leaders in Belgrade and Pristina to engage in a comprehensive dialogue, in a comprehensive dialogue on settling all open issues, this is a development that is important, a development that happens under the facilitation of the high representative, and that is key, obviously, to the European perspective of Serbia, but also to the European path of Kosovo. On the other hand, you just mentioned it, uh, the, some of the things we heard most recently after the judgment uh, of the ICTY uh, showed us that we still have a far way to go uh, to cope with the heritage, the heavy heritage of the past. Obviously, one of the excuses, if I may put it in these terms, of the region has been that it doesn't have a perspective, and not having a perspective makes it more difficult to grapple uh, with that kind of situation. I think that excuse, if I may say, that apology is going away. Uh, you said uh, earlier on, uh, you uh, showed us one of these questions, which basically was about, does the European Union, because it's going through difficulties like Brexit, is the European Union really able to open up? I think we've just demonstrated the opposite. The fact is that because of these internal challenges we are facing, Brexit among them, the, the forces of cohesion have strengthened amongst the remaining 27 of the member states of the European Union, and for the first time, the number 27 in this context is also important. Both the President of the Commission and the High Representative have said very clearly in recent months, we will not end up at 27. We are moving forward. We are willing to look at enlargement and the target date for the first new entries into the European Union, 2025, was mentioned for the first time. And the next months, the months ahead of us, will be essential in this context. As you know, following the State of the Union address of the President of the Commission, the European Commission, together with the External Action Service, is working on a strategy, on a strategy for the Western Balkans. And obviously, this will be a strategy, uh, it is perhaps too early to go into the details, this will be a strategy that will have messages for the frontrunners, but it will have messages, I think, for the entire region. It will be the first time, the first first time since Thessaloniki in 2004 where I participated, the first time that the European Union will be very clear in reiterating this message that all uh, Western Balkans partners will become part of our family. It may take time, it will uh, require considerable uh, changes and developments in all partners, but this is something that we are committed to. There will be the communication, there will be the strategy. In addition, there will also be the summit that will be organized by our Bulgarian friends in the first half of the next year, the first big event of this kind, a summit of the 28th, still of the 28th, and the Western Balkans partners, an event which in a certain sense is the biggest event of its kind again since Thessaloniki. And we also have a succession of rotating presidencies in the European Union that are strongly committed uh, to this enlargement agenda, uh, Bulgaria, Austria, Romania, so I think this is also a good perspective. So I have to say that if these countries are still facing, if our partners in the Balkans are still facing this heavy heritage of the past, 
and it is a heritage which uh, dealing with is complicated because of the economic situation, because of the situation on the labor market, because of a lot of unemployment, because of people trying to leave the region. If one of the arguments has been we don't have a perspective, I think our message will be very clearly that this perspective will be confirmed and reaffirmed in the months to come. Thank you. Yes, several times. So the new strategy, the summit in Sofia, the London summit, and the presidencies that will do it. But, Thomas, let's be quite honest, um, there's competition in the region now. I mean, the European Union is not the only game in town. You've got many, many other powers, influential powers jostling for influence there, um, not to mention Russia, China, and Turkey. So how does the EU then fit into this jigsaw? Well, I think you've uh, just heard the Prime Minister speak about the aspirations of his country and of the region, and I don't think that anybody has something comparable to offer uh, to what the European uh, Union has to offer. Precisely this offer that the region is, is in, its, in its perspective, part of our family and will become a full part of this family. Nobody can offer this family uh, uh, membership in a comparable way. I don't think that the Eurasian Economic Union uh, can be described as a family in the same way. And although I'm deeply impressed by the engagement of China in many parts of the world, I don't think that this region wants to become part of the Chinese family. So I think the dimension that we have to offer is a dimension that nobody can offer in comparison. Okay, thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, I'll move on now to Shihan, UNDP. So uh, one of the ways perhaps that the Western Balkans, the Balkans can be made to look forward uh, rather than linger with the ghosts of the past could be through the Agenda 2030 of Sustainable Development Goals, which will create bonds and connections between the different countries in the region. Let's hear your point of view. Um, thank you, Shada, Prime Minister, um, colleagues, friends. Uh, great pleasure to be here. Um, uh, good morning. I think uh, we are all agreeing that uh, Europe and the world is at a crossroads. We are facing new dynamics, new challenges. And um, simply put, um, it is uh, no longer viable to use uh, business as usual approaches to peace, development, and security. Indeed, as the Prime Minister has said, um, Western Balkans has made a lot of progress in a better place maybe than ever. Of course, the continuation of this progress will require decisive government action. At the same time, uh, we are observing that post-1990s security paradigm uh, is uh, having its own strains. Terrorism, refugee flows, migrant flows, uh, marginalized movement becoming mainstream. And in fact, we see many outlying movements becoming the new normal. So in this context, certainly Western Balkans is not immune. A lot of people are living below wages uh, of European Union averages. Uh, we are still uh, suffering from the ghosts of the past. And we are seeing that uh, disasters, natural disasters, are able to wipe away years of development gains. We need to be able to build resilient societies where people can withstand shocks, whether they are internal, external, man-made, or natural. Indeed, Western Balkans needs development uh, solutions that will sustain peace and, in a way, societal contracts, as well as economic growth and uh, 
balance uh, ecological uh, developments. All of this requires new platforms, intergovernmental um, approaches that uh, promote uh, policy cohesion to avoid uh, very much uh, sectoral uh, approaches to policy making and bring communities together rather than uh, uh, pull them apart. One such platform certainly is Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, as we uh, call them. Uh, sustainable Development Goals uh, provide um, universally applicable platforms to provide this kind of policy cohesion, promote democracy, and bring uh, people uh, together. In fact, it promotes a whole of society, whole of government approach. If we want uh, lasting peace, we need to have lasting development efforts. This is a non-stop, in fact, uh, process. At the same time, it is important we continue harnessing the creativity, energy, innovation of the youth. Youth are the future. Without them, uh, none of what we are saying is ever going to be uh, achievable. Uh, if we want uh, these uh, processes to be sustainable, uh, if we want to urge them to go forward, governments, societies will need to focus on transparency, accountability, and create space for civic uh, society, civic action. Everybody's voice will have to be heard. I talked about the young people, but certainly women are a very, very big part of the equation. Women must be at the table together with men concerning decisions that affect their own lives. Lastly, innovation is uh, critical. This is innovation in financing, innovation in funding, and innovation in partnerships. All policy decisions we urge are based on evidence and based on data that's also transparent because that's a big part of accountability uh, to, the, to the people. We are working together with the governments to create the structures for the implementation of SDGs and at the same time working with the governments to integrate them into national strategies and priorities. It is part of a huge um, uh, partnership process. It is all of us and the partnerships will need to be also based on equal um, access and effective uh, solutions. So we are all in this together and if we don't act together, if in fact uh, we let the new normal become actually the normal, we risk uh, facing the um, ghosts of the past and the nightmares of the future. Thank you right. very much. Shihan, just a very, very quick follow-up on that. If there was one thing that you would recommend to get the outcomes that you're talking about, uh, to break divorce the past, as Prime Minister said, what would you say? The one recommendation you would make? I would say equality. I think inequalities um, are the biggest problem that we are facing. And if we don't have equality in uh, social progress, in uh, um, environmental sustainability, and indeed in economic growth, we will not be able to achieve anything. So equality is the key. And including gender equality, I Absolutely. Imagine. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Shihan. Uh, Michele, let me turn to you now. And uh, as I said, you were involved in the Trieste conference. And of course, Italy has taken a very, very, very determined view of what's going to happen in the region. Several plans leading up to the London summit, the Sophia summit. How are you going to take this conversation forward, the action plan 
the, 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 the processes that you've set in place? How do you take this forward? Okay, um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Trieste was an important step in the process of involving the Western Balkans in the, uh, in the perspective of the European uh, participation and integration. And some results were uh, achieved thanks to the process, which is a very useful process. And I refer to the uh, package of new projects, to the signature of the Transport Community Treaty, to the creation of an action plan for the regional economic integration. Other projects, other initiatives uh, were more in the hands of the Italian presidency and uh, in particular the uh, anti-corruption initiative. It's an important dimension and we are glad that this will remain as a legacy and will be uh, brought forward by the new uh, UK presidency, but also the, the capacity of interaction at the political level between civil society and the, uh, and the political level. Um, and the focus on entrepreneurship, on small and medium-sized enterprises, with the creation of a secretariat of the chambers of commerce of the region in, in, in Trieste. Now there are other initiatives that uh, I, I would like also to recall. One is the RICO, which is an extremely important organization based in Tirana. And is, uh, this uh, is the regional youth cooperation. Youth cooperation, exactly. And the, the other one is the science conference that will be hosted in, uh, in, uh, in Rome in end of May, beginning of June. And we are confident that it will lead to the creation of uh, a research foundation to facilitate the, the work of young uh, Western Balkan uh, researchers. And so this is also, this is, Trieste was, was an instrument, was a tool, but what is the objective is the integration of the Western Balkans in the European Union. And I want to refer to what Thomas Harting said before with a list of events and elements which bring us to think that there is a window of opportunity in the coming months and the coming years due to the fact of the row of uh, EU presidency which have the Western Balkans high in their agenda and also um, the uh, set of events like the strategy, the presentation of the strategy, the uh, package enlargement package in April, the uh, summit in Sofia, but also the European Council in June, uh, which uh, we, we hope will, will uh, decide the, the, the starting of uh, uh, negotiation with, with Albania, if not, if not before, and also the London summit in uh, early July. So we think there is a a window of opportunity, uh, there is a political capital in the current commission where the high representative is very much committed to the, to the region and for the, next, for the next commission. And I, also, I would like also to revert to the, to the question, the alternatives, I don't think there are other options uh, as attractive as Europe in, term of, in terms of uh, economic value, in terms of, of, of uh, financial assistance, but also in terms of attractiveness for young, for young people, 
I think we have uh, the only way to, 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 to go on is to show benefits in the economic and social life, to bring concrete results for citizens, and to create opportunities for young people. This was, was at the end, was what Trieste was about. It was a step, a little piece of work in, 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 the, in the pathway. And there are also other elements which are important, is the security side. Right. I think we, we, we have to face together with the Western Balkans the challenges we have ahead and to cooperate basically in three main elements. One is the fight against, against terrorism. The other one is the fight against organized crime and the uh, uh, illegal migration. We need legal migrations instead of illegal migrations. And so I think these are challenges we can only face together with the cooperation. We have a strong bilateral cooperation with all the Western countries, uh, uh, all the Western Balkan countries, but also I think in a, in a wider uh, structure, in a wider framework. I'm sure that working with the, on the European integration of the, of, of the Western Balkans is the best investment we can make for the security of Europe, for the security of our, of our continent. Thank you, Michele. So you talked about the need to uh, get legal migration rather than have the challenge of illegal migration. One of the issues, of course, for the young people that you've referred to is also that people are leaving. Young people are leaving the region because there are no jobs. So did Trieste also deal with that key, key challenge? Not really, but you know, young people, they are, they are moving from a place to another. They are also living in Italy or they are living in other countries of the, in the European Union. They go where there are the best opportunities. So it's also a matter of leadership and create good opportunities in your country. Right, and I think we're going to talk a bit about that in the second session as well. But thank you very much, Michele, for sort of stretching, the, the mapping out for us the different uh, stops that are happening next year that are going to be quite important. Um, let me turn now to Andrew. Uh, from the US perspective, I mean, we've talked a lot about what the ghosts of the past, uh, getting away, looking to, the f looking to the future, and the values. And that's what the Prime Minister focused very much as well on European values. Let's have your opinion on what's happening in the region. How do you view it from the US? Uh, thank you, Shad. And let me sit on this panel with these uh, distinguished visitors. visitors. Um, Last week, Secretary Tillerson was asked to comment on the Balkans, and, and one of the things that he said was, and let me quote him accurately here, bloodlines should no longer be battle lines. The United States and the world long to see a new generation of Serbs, Croats, Albanians, Bosnians, Kosovars, and others who will forgive the past even if they can't, if they can never forget it. So I think what he was trying to convey is that there needs to be, when we, we talk about values, there needs to, we need to elevate, we on the outside and, and certainly within the Balkans, we need to elevate a respect for minority rights and, and try to promote leaders, young leaders and other leaders who, uh, who want to build that within the value system uh, in the Balkans and that will help push things forward. But let me, I'm, being an American, I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist as, that, as, as we are wont to be. And so let me talk about a few positive developments that have happened in the region recently, uh, and then how the U.S. hopes to see things move forward. Uh, this year, uh, we saw four 
broadly accepted uh, elections that took place that were broadly accepted to be free and fair uh, in Kosovo, Albania, Serbia, and Macedonia. Uh, and while there may be disagreements and issues with them, they have, it's generally been accepted as successful elections. We've also seen the accession of Montenegro as the 29th member of NATO. So that was quite the accomplishment that was announced in May. And also on the security front, we should observe that there are already strong Euro-Atlantic security relationships. Uh, there's joint training that goes on between Western Balkan nations, the U.S. and NATO forces. Uh, there are West, Western Balkan nations who make contributions to NATO and EU security missions around the world. And all six nations in the Balkans are members of the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS. So, while there are challenges ahead, um, I think as uh, Shada has mentioned, uh, it's, these are challenges for all of Europe. And President Juncker and High Representative Mogherini have stressed that the Balkans are an integral part of Europe. Now, the U.S. government position here is pretty clear. I mean, we believe that the clearest path forward for the Western Balkan nations is deeper Euro-Atlantic integration. Uh, the pursuit of that integration, that deeper integration, uh, including reforms that are needed for EU accession, uh, needs to be guided by a, a grander vision. And those, those, that grander vision needs to be grounded in democracy, freedom, and rule of law, as, as others have mentioned. Now, the leaders of the nations, they're the ones who need to chart the path. And they need to get, navigate the formidable challenges that are ahead. But the people, especially the younger generation, they, they need to buy into the vision uh, and they need to understand what the desired end state is. Uh, and with that, a clearer picture offered by the leaders of the region will enable, the, that's who the, young, the, the, the generations of the future will support to get them there. So, as I've noted, the U.S. is committed to a Europe that's whole, free, and at peace. And whether through diplomacy or our security and development assistance efforts, we are looking to support the region to create democratic societies that are able to advance security and prosperity. Um, our assistance largely uh, is coordinated with our European partners to build capacity of democratic institutions, including the judiciary, and to help promote increased economic integration, uh, which is, and what we are advancing is largely aligned with the EU accession criteria. So, working in close cooperation with our European partners uh, at the country level, uh, the U.S. is playing a constructive and a proactive role to advance the Euro-Atlantic integration. Uh, let me kind of wrap up by noting that, you know, we believe that the Western Balkan nations are on the right path and need to stay the course on uh, the, the path towards uh, uh, the accession that most of them are on. Uh, it will take courage and political will from the region's leaders, uh, and the U.S. will be working with our European partners to help create an environment 
that will enable their success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andrew. So clear message, which is rather upbeat, but also forgive even if you can't forget. So that, that's a powerful message as well. A lot of talk about young people, new generation, young people, what do they think, how do they work, what are their aspirations? So I'm going to ask uh, Tanya from Bosnia-Herzegovina and Ina from Albania to, in a succinct fashion, uh, give some of their comments, but also if you have a question, and then please, everyone else, thinking caps on, I'll have time to take about three questions from the floor as well. So, yes, please, uh, uh, Tanya. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Tanya Grabovac, and I'm coming from Bosnia and Herzegovina. So I uh, want to raise up a question which is uh, really important in this field of uh, peace and reconciliation. Uh, and uh, since I'm coming from uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, I want to now raise a question of returning of nationalism and uh, ethnic tensions. And I will use a fresh example from Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is happening right now in these few days, and uh, which is uh, um, last, last week there was a situation in Hague and a situation with Mr. Mr. Praljak. So example is that uh, across all uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, from south to the north, um, there was a people who are going outside of the streets, uh, outside of, of their houses to give their uh, public support of, for uh, Mr. Praljak. So um, I am Croat and I think that this uh, situation was a great opportunity to make a progress in this field of peace and, in, and reconciliations. But uh, I think that we missed that opportunity. Right. We missed it hardly, we, we missed it, and uh, instead of that, we move backward. So uh, I'm deeply not satisfied with the uh, public reactions in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which are reality of our society. So I am not, uh, I'm not satisfied with it, and I am ashamed. I'm ashamed of it. Thank so, you. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya, for being so honest. And I think that's a question for all of us as well, moving backward and opportunities being missed. Uh, Ina from Albania. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Ina Hadjia, and I'm representing Albania here today. Uh, I heard very, I was very eager to, her, to hear, in fact, my prime minister talking about uh, issues that we are facing every day in Albania, like rule of law, the strong institutions. But I wanted, what I wanted to say and highlight is that strong institutions are made by strong people. So, uh, how we can expect these issues to be done and uh, when, on the other hand, we have that Tahiri case that was done nothing. It was not approved to be under uh, prosecutors' investigation. Do you think that you, Prime Minister, do you think are a better one, or what's the what we gonna do? Because if we have to start, we have to start somewhere. This for us was, was an example that even politicians are not uh, being so immune anymore. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Ina. Let's take a couple of questions from the floor as well, please. The light is very bright in my eyes, so I already see two hands going up. And I, yeah, so please, yeah, right, whatever, doesn't matter. Just introduce yourself, please. 
Good morning, Yasenko Selimovic is my name. I'm the member of the parliament for the liberal group representing Swedish liberals in the, in the European Parliament. I have two questions for European services, external services. The first one is, Commission has obviously announced that in the working program of 2018, the, some countries will get a, some kind of date, enlargement date, uh, some countries will move forward, and two countries are obviously lingering behind, Kosovo and Bosnia and Herzegovina. My first question for you is, what do you think that decision might be perceived in the region as rewarding for countries that have been fighting the war and leaving behind those two that were actually victims of war? Of war? The second question is about the Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, this is not just the result of the war, it is lack of the progress that, that has been pointed out as one of the reasons for leaving the country behind. But if you, if you do remember, 24 years ago, uh, we pushed, we meaning Western world, pushed on them constitution that nobody, no Serb, no Muslim, no Jews, no, no Croats, nobody wanted in that country, called Dayton Agreement. It created country completely impossible to govern completely with the three prime ministers collective government three almost 300 ministers 300 ministers eight level of governments and all these ministers governments levels of government have veto right so and now 24 years later we are complaining that the country is not progressing well i know why but my question to you is on the top of it we actually took somebody who hold high representative, who is a brilliant guy, and has been brilliant guy. So guys, can you right? just uh, yes. be short? But whose job is to perceive the constitution as it is. So my question to you is, how do we go further on? There are three po po possible solutions. One is to solve it instead for them, to push it through. The other one is to give the people in Bosnia powers to solve it by themselves. Or third one, to leave it as it is. Right. As it seemed to me, we are on the third solution as now. So do you have any solution to move forward? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And I'll take one question from the lady here. Um, if you could just keep them short so we get some okay. answers as well. I'll Thank do my you. Best. My name is Maya Pistovic. I'm from East-West Institute from New York, representative for the Western Balkans. Uh, I'd like to thank the panelists for their inspiring words. Sometimes I feel when we talk about Balkan, Balkans as, as we're all blind people trying p to touch the pieces of an elephant and seeing, you know, trying to put the whole picture together. What I like today is the insistence on the importance of the rule of law. And my question has to do with that. How come the European Union, which is that bride or broom, but I'd rather say bride because we, we often speak of it as an old lady, how come the European Union doesn't do more to push, to prioritize the rule of law, specifically right. the independent judiciary and prosecutors, because this is the way to attract investors, this is the way to build trust with young people, to prevent the brain drain, this is the way to have the free media. So there, if there is no silver bullet, this could possibly be one. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much for that. And I see one hand going up way back, and that's the last question I'll take. So if somebody, please, sir, we need a microphone for you. And please keep it brief, yeah? Thank you, Shada. Good morning, Garrett Hankosic, Kelly, Sea Change Net. Uh, condolences to the Albanian Prime Minister on the floods. Uh, 
Um, unfortunately, it's not the first time we've seen them. And uh, just a comment to say, one of the solutions for young people is green jobs and climate change. So I think that when we think we've got a problem, we've also got a solution. And the second thing is, I wanted to ask about media. Balkan Insights did a great uh, report on Balkan elites manufacturing scandals and using their state reporting agencies. And what do any of the speakers have to say about that? Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you very much. I won't have time, but you can come in at the next, next session. So, Prime Minister, would you like to start off by responding to some of the issues raised for you? There were many things that were said, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite challenging uh, in general. But I would start by saying that can we stop with this young people leave? Because, you know, there is a permanence leaving and coming all over the place in what we call the European Union, okay? 50,000 people left Croatia last year. Nobody talks about them. Millions left from Poland or Czech Republic or whatever going wherever. Nobody spoke about them. Of course, people will leave and people will come. This is all about it, right? We are not uh, in this, uh, in this uh, path to simply build our gold castles and keep everyone inside the golden castles with green jobs and climate change and all this stuff. People will leave, people will come. The difference is made simply by the fact that we in the Western Balkans are not part of the free labor market. Simple. So when our people, our young people, or our not so young people decide to leave, they are obliged to take a path which is not legitimate, the path of uh, asylum seeking. It's very simple. So why we have to go around and around and around and what miracles what miracles one can ask from whoever is uh, in power or in opposition in general in politics in this region what miracles how we in the region can make the miracle of preventing people to leave or preventing people to come we lived in a country where nobody could leave for 50 years and believe me it was not the best you know, so uh, this is one. Secondly, I think that uh, no one, and sorry for my, uh, for my bluntness, no one can come and tell me that in whatever country, in EU or not EU, they have done a justice reform in two years by changing the constitution with full consensus by going and uh, arriving in two years to the point to bring all judges and all prosecutors in front of a vetting process which will mean that every judge and every prosecutor has to respond about the legitimacy of its own wealth status the legitimacy of its own decision-making in the past and his capacity. Who did it? Who did it? We are, we are, we have great neighbors, you know. We are, we have great neighbors. Uh, and our greatest neighbor is by far Italy. It's a long story. 
I've seen them struggling since a quarter of a century at least to have a justice reform. Okay, so it's another, you know, and, and uh, thirdly, I would say very simply, it's about institutions. So if we see the pace of integration, uh, who were the first to get to the EU? The first to get to the EU from the former communist Europe were them who had dots to connect with the past of institutions. And the, practically the speed of the process was defined by the past in terms of institutions. Who are the last? The Western Balkans. Why? Because the past was far from being generous with us and in the past practically what we had. We didn't have what the Poles or the Czechs or others had if they turned, turned the head back. So what EU process provides us is something we can't find in our past. It's about institutions. And I will answer to, to my fellow uh, uh, Albanian Ina. It's not about strong men. It can be about strong women too. But it's first and foremost about institutions. This is, this is the point. As far as we are on the track of uh, EU integration, we are on the track of building something we never had in the past, institutions. And I love when I hear about rule of law being the mantra, but I despise when the rule of law is used to blame, to blame countries and to hide what is in fact the reason of the blame. The reason of the blame is that there are political political situations in one country or another country that need to be dealt with uh, populistic or whatever way. And so it's easy to blame Albanians. So we have a member state, I'm not mentioning it because it's a lovely member state with a great football team, who, where we are being bashed daily in the newspapers about the Albanian ethnic crime. You know how, what percentage, what percentage the Albanians uh, have in their pie of crimes, 0.4%. And another country who is around 30% is not even mentioned. So I knew it was a time when Bulgarians were not acceptable because they, they were the people that tried to kill the Pope, right? Then it came the turn of the Romanians. Now is the turn of the Albanians. And why? What about? Because of accession talks? And I, I don't understand. I don't understand politicians of whatever level, in whatever country, that say, you know, we want Europe to be one day, but for the moment, right. we have another thing to deal with. Our people that are a bit nervous about enlargement. Sorry, as far as I'm informed, our friends, the Serbs, are not here because now we are at the point to delegate our reconciliation process when we are in conference. So when they are busy, I come. When I'm busy, they go. So it's a great thing. Uh, but I am not informed that any of the countries in the region is knocking at the door and disturbing any one of you by saying, I want to be member now. 
Okay. Right? So what we are talking about? We are talking about negotiating. And I, I'm not going to mention another country, which is a great friendly country, that's negotiating since 60 years, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> so what is wrong about negotiating? And what is wrong about your politicians telling public opinions, listen, these guys from the Balkans who are so suspicious, they'll never ever cross the door of our family house if they are not ready. ready. That's okay. why we are negotiating with all of them. Yeah. But not say, ah, wait, we want you, but we are not going to talk to you for the moment because we have some other things to do. Right. Because then, and I'm not very, very, uh, you know, I'm not very, um, I, uh, I don't agree much or, or totally with uh, our friend here who mentioned China, Russia, Turkey, like, you know, they have nothing to offer. No, they have many things to offer. Russia, for example, has a, has a very easy path to offer, you know. Abandon the rule of law, forget about democratic institutions, and have your own power for the rest of your life. And it's not quite, you know, uninteresting, right. by the way. <laughs> okay. so, well, that's a, that's so, a warning, guys. No. <laughs> and, they have, and they have money to pour, they have money to pour in, you know. And it's not, it didn't happen in some uh, Siberia forest. It happened in the middle of Europe that the government and the prime minister during an election were threatened to death. And a prime minister was nearly to be killed. It was in Montenegro, Montenegro yes. in a country that is negotiating with EU. And so the danger is real present danger, as a, an American film would say. So China, China has, has the luxury to plan for the next 100 years, while we all here are thinking about the next four years, including, uh, including big countries. But I would not say they have nothing to offer. Right. And, uh, and uh, you, you forgot one other force, which is radical Islam. Right. What about radical Islam? Because in, this, in our region, we are multi-ethnic, multi-religious, multi-everything. And now we are all, with all our multitudes, we want EU. If EU will not run, not wait, run to catch us, then believe me, many multi-problems can, can restart, and then it will be much more costly to marry with us. Thank you, okay. Prime Minister. <laughs> so you've been warned, the dowry is getting very, very costly and big. So thank you very much, uh, Prime Minister. Appreciate your frankness, I have to say, and your clear message, um, appreciate it. Thomas, and um, if I could just make a plea to the panelists now, um, we are running quite late, so if you could be very, very uh, succinct in your, in your responses. In any case, the Prime Minister has said everything that needed to be said. <laughs> sure, Thomas, please. Well, um, uh, Prime Minister, just to revert to what you said, uh, I reverted to your earlier point about joining families mm -hmm. and which family one would like to join in the region, and I think you've in fact confirmed uh, that you have one favorite family uh, <laughs> that doesn't compete with the others, which are, I would not underestimate the challenges they are facing, but I think the perspective we're looking at is a long-term perspective of being together. 
Let me say I wanted to revert, uh, I wanted to, revert to the question uh, that we are not doing enough uh, about the rule of law. And I have to say this puzzled me a little bit uh, because I personally think that in what the European Union is doing in its pre-accession support, the vast, uh, the, the prime focus on what we're doing is precisely on fighting corruption and on dealing uh, with judiciary reform, in dealing with good governance, in dealing with rule of law. And the Prime Minister himself has just spoken about the priority we have in Albania in this field, and this is clearly something that we will continue. This will also be a priority, I'm sure, in the strategy that we're working on. The Swedish member of the European Parliament uh, said some things about what the uh, um, strategy might look like. He seemed to know more about the subject than I do, which puzzled me just a little bit because I was involved in uh, the drafting exercise until now, and I cannot confirm that we're working on the packages that he has been describing. It's very much, as I said, on the one hand, about uh, the, 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 the president of the commission spoke about front runners, but as I also said, it's a message and it will continue to be a message uh, to the entire region. And it's a message, basically, I'm sure, to all uh, okay. Western Balkan six, what still needs to be done so that they can move forward on their European path. And at the same time, it will obviously also be uh, a message uh, to our member states uh, with regard to some of the concerns the Prime Minister mentioned, underlining basically what needs to be done so that these countries become not only candidates, but that, they, that the European Union is also a in a position uh, to take them right. on board. So I think that's the first point. The other Thomas, point. I won't have time for a second point. Can you make it very short? Yes, I, I, I think I can be very short. Uh, the other point is basically once again about reconciliation. Uh, what, I, what I want to say is integration itself is a very important right. factor in reconciliation. We had this experience with our own neighbors, Austrians, Italy. We were able to solve a problem at our borders that could not have been solved without integration. So integration helps, but right. on the other hand, you need to reach a certain preliminary stage point. to be able to profit from it. Thank you very much. We're going to talk about integration when we talk about economics, as in the second panel. Shinan, please, yeah, very, very, very quickly. Quick. Well, um, the Secretary General of the UN, um, Mr. Guterres, um, uh, always makes a point of emphasizing that without peace, there is no development. Without development, there is no peace. Uh, for peace, of course, after conflict, you need a political solution. But to sustain peace, we have to work together to achieve development. Young people everywhere, they want the same thing. So it's very critical to promote dialogue among young people. Why don't we train more young journalists? Why don't we organize you know, talk shows where young people from different uh, uh, ethnic groups, religions come together and discuss their aspirations and their own uh, solutions? Now, I talked about the SDGs. There Shinan, is actually, you'll have to be very brief now. There please. is actually a very good convergence between the SDGs and EU accession processes. Right. The famous Goal 16 is about institutions that the Prime Minister emphasized so strongly. And when it comes to green economies, indeed, it is also the future of the young people. So energy efficiency, renewables, right. extremely critical. Right. And on the subject of inequalities, what we are trying to achieve is not only equalities between the countries, but 
uh, inside the countries, but uh, between, between, you know, among the yeah, countries. Right, so yeah. uh, that is our right. own future. And these are, uh, thank you for raising these issues. These issues are dealt with in the two other panels that will be following this one. So uh, glad that I prepared the ground. <laughs> thank you, Michele, please, and then Andrew. Very, very quickly, just to say that we need to involve as much as possible the, to engage the Western Balkans in European Union initiatives and programs mm. ahead also of the uh, accession itself. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you also for being to the point, please. Uh, also, just quickly, I know media was mentioned, and of course the media landscape in the Balkans uh, is, is a, a tricky landscape with a lot of misinformation, disinformation. Could you hold the mic, the mic closer? So with regards to the, the media landscape, uh, you know, there just needs to be more work on uh, professionalizing the journalistic work there and as well as uh, helping them to uh, reach a point of financial sustainability so they are not so reliant on political parties and state support so that they can truly be independent and not reliant on those who want to push a particular agenda. Thank you. So this brings me nicely to the end of this fascinating conversation. I have to say thank you all for being very honest and, and, and frank about your concerns, but also your hopes and your aspirations. We're running slightly late, but we started with a 10-minute delay. Um, so we break for coffee, but please be back at 10.30. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>